0: All right. Welcome to the Briona Society podcast officially. We're recording live this morning. We're having a roundtable here from the exciting one hour gap before my daughter comes home from preschool. Jenny, Jay, excited to see you both. How are you doing?
1: Good, good.
2: Excited to be here. I'm
0: happy to have you here. So we obviously all know each other well. It's a perfect week to have a roundtable because we've got all this breaking news, including this article in the Wall Street Journal from an hour ago. Before we get going, why don't we all introduce ourselves? Uh, Jenny, you want to lead us off?
1: Sure. My name is Jenny Feldman. I'm a leads with the Briona Society, born in San Francisco, and uh, trying to make this city a better place for all of us.
2: Awesome. I'm Jay Dondi. I am one of the co-founders and the president of the Briona Society, and having a great week. Niners are doing pretty good. Air is starting to clear up. Looking forward to the weekend. So yeah. Excited to be here and have this fun conversation with y'all.
0: Love it. Okay, Jenny, I want to start with you. Board of Supervisors had a hearing yesterday on car break-ins. Yes. To give some background here, uh, this is a bit of a weird hearing. It's being led by, or was being led by, Dean Preston, who is on record demanding that San Francisco defund the police. Yes. So he didn't come into this with a lot of options other than maybe demanding Kia use bulletproof glass tell us about the hearing and and where do we go now?
1: Yeah. So I was really interested in this because I live in Dean Preston's district and I live on Alamo Square, which is a Popular tourist destination absolutely plagued by car break-ins. And so I was glad to see Supervisor Preston taking interest in this and and raising the issue. Um, you know, I think he's probably got re-election on his mind for 2024, but hey, listen, I'm happy to see some attention being paid to this. So went down to City Hall yesterday and Preston. Opened by saying that his office has been doing some research on car break ins and a couple months ago had asked various departments to provide data. And there were representatives from SFPD, SFMTA, and the Office of Economic and Workforce Development were there. And then the DA's office had submitted a letter. So the attachments to the agenda for the meeting were really interesting and. Kind of shocking, because in the police department slides, I don't know if you all are aware of how many car break-ins we had last year. Does anybody want to take a guess? Twenty twenty-two.
2: Ooh, oh, can man. we do this like a uh, Prices Right style? Yeah, where let's do you, it, Prices uh, Right style. Okay. Well, do we
0: get a hint, or is it out of
1: no hints? Go. No, no hints. hints.
2: Car. So total car break-in. Total
1: year-to-year. Yeah, year-wide auto burglary data, SFPD, twenty twenty-two.
2: Go. Okay, I'm going to go with 2,999.
1: <laughs> okay,
0: Ben. Okay, so if it's Prices right rules, I don't want to go over. I'm going to say, see, I want to say something high because I know, unfortunately, a lot of people don't call it in. It just happens mm-hmm. to you and you, you don't call it. I- I'm going to say 4,250.
1: Okay, so this is SFPD's reported numbers. Last year, it was 22,700. No
0: so- way.
1: Yeah, so if you don't include, you know, who knows what the unreported numbers are, but 22,000 reported. The SFPD provided six years of data. Back in 2017, it was 31,000 some. So um, not as bad as that, but I mean, really, really bad. They didn't provide, I didn't see in anywhere of the information, the number of arrests that they're made, but the DA's office provided information about the number of cases that had been presented to them. And then the number of cases filed and convictions. So for 2022, the, there were 266 cases presented to the DA's office by SFPD. And of those, the DA's office pursued 212 of them. And I'm not sure what the conviction rate is. So like a teeny yeah. tiny fraction, teeny tiny fraction of the auto burglaries on the streets are being are, are going up the chain in the criminal justice system. So we have just an absolutely massive problem. And so again, n- not a huge fan of Dean Preston, but I guess i am got to give credit where credit's due. He convened this hearing and brought everybody together and wanted to, you know, hear what everyone's doing about it. SFPD took the most of the question and comment time and they're doing things. You know, they, they have a bait car program. Didn't really share much detail about that because it affects their um, confidential procedures. But... Clearly, I think we're not getting the level of response that is needed to to make a real dent in this. Um, Supervisor Stephanie Catherine Stephanie emphasized several times. We with SFPD down by 600 officers, it really leaves them short on opportunities to do the kind of proactive detective work and police work that would make a big difference here. So I'm very sympathetic to that, but I I will say it was a little disappointing that. I don't think that SFPD has got a lot of tools in their, in their active, it doesn't seem like they've got a lot of, I don't know, like really creative, aggressive approaches right now to solving this, which again, is understandable because of the, the staffing shortages, but it's just, um, it's a little dispiriting to see that we're not, um, the, the, i'm not I'm not confident coming out of this meeting that we're going to see major changes soon. Preston had requested things like uh, he wants to see he you know, his focus is all on um, prevention. So he wants to see better signage. okay, Great. Yeah, The park smart signs are all um, written. They're just like verbal signs. They're, they don't they don't have graphics. So he's asking sFmTA, can you make some better signs? Great. Sure. Couldn't hurt. Um, he also wants trained ambassadors at hotspots. Again, that might be helpful. Not sure how many people can really be, you know, we're looking at 22,000, how many, how many potential break-ins can be prevented by an ambassador just going up to someone and saying, Hey, don't leave stuff in your car. But I don't know, not a terrible idea. A citywide marketing campaign, again, probably couldn't hurt. I thought this was interesting. He's He says, you know, he wants to see more interdepartmental coordination. And um, he asked SFPD about this. And they said, yeah, they do. You know, they touch, they have a working dialogue with the parks department and SFMTA and the tourist boards. But he's saying, can we, Preston was asking, can we make this sort of a more official, monthly interdepartmental, see where things are going? Uh, that sounds like a good idea, even though I'm sure all the leadership of SFPD doesn't need to be going to more meetings. They seem to spend a lot of time at meetings, but coordination's always good. And then he also asked for Dean Preston also asked for, can we get some metrics? like what are what can we sh- shoot for as a goal? And um, it was Commander Jackson, Derek Jackson who was there. and he said, Yeah, you know I think we the metrics are. Arrests and total burglaries, and when those numbers go down, we'll see, and that those will be the metrics that we'll know that things <laughs> have improved. But Preston said, you know, could we have, could we shoot for certain numbers? And I think that's a worthy goal as well. I think some of the public comments were just people in the neighborhood, like myself, we know a lot of the things we know a lot of the trends, the things to look for, right? We know that if you see a group of teenagers in a car with tinted windows, they are most likely on the prowl. You know, what's being done about that? Tinted windows are not, police still have the authority to stop people for tinted windows. It's not um, on that list of banned pretext stops. So they should be doing some proactive policing with Cars with tinted windows. We also all know tourist cars out of state. So, like, what we all know that, like, um, if you see a a rental car with an out of state plate, that that car is likely to get targeted. So, how much coordination is happening with the rental car companies? Could we be doing something creatively on that front? And then I had asked about um, in public comment period, I asked about this product called Star Chase. Um, Some of our other Briones uh, clued me into it. It is a law enforcement product that allows an officer to like shoot a tag thing onto a car oh. onto a fleeing car and then they can trace the car without engaging in a dangerous high-speed neighborhood chase and it just seems like I you know I don't know if that's exactly gonna be the solution to all of this but it's the type of thing that I think would lo- would have liked to hear more about at the meeting yesterday coming from leadership and um, Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, I have so much sympathy for SFPD. The scope of this problem is massive, but it's just a little frustrating that I'm I'm not seeing a lot of um, energy around creative problem solving, which is understandable when you're massively understaffed and you have to focus all your time and attention on priority calls. So yeah, that was my takeaway from yesterday's meeting.
0: Yeah. Hard to see how they're going to afford new technology with all the defunding, but that's a separate issue.
1: Yeah. Although, you know, smart technology can be a lot more cost-effective than hiring a new officer and paying them overtime hours. Um, you know, I especially since there's such a long path towards getting the police department fully staffed. If, if if we're looking at years, in the meantime, can we focus on maybe some other creative ideas that might help? Um, so, But I like the energy, um, you know, or the energy rather, or the attention, I should say. I was glad to see the Board of Supervisors spending some time on this and hopefully it gets a conversation going.
0: How is Supervisor Connie Chan at this meeting? She's said relatively little on this.
1: Yeah. So she had some, she made a few references. She's like, please... Please come help us in the Richmond. Please help us in the Richmond where, you know, the cars are getting bipped in Seacliff and at the Legion of Honor. Please come ch- please come help us in the Richmond. And SFPD was saying, you know, we're there every day. We're doing our best. Um, and then she had some sort of personal anecdotes about friends whose cars have been broken into, which we all mm. have those anecdotes. So I'm not really sure that that uh, is going to ch- change the conversation dramatically.
2: Jenny, don't think we didn't notice your very apropos use of the neologism BIP. uh,
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm working it.
2: That was very well deployed. (laughs) Thank
1: you.
0: Well done. Well, uh, on the topic of places where San Francisco needs to make a little more progress than we're making, let's talk about the constraints reduction ordinance. Uh, Jay, I want to ask you about this one. So just, I'll let you give the background. The but marketing
1: so people, department might need a word with that one. The constraints. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, is
0: that something to do with the deficit or?
2: It know, sounds what? like uh, something the Politburo may have come up with <laughs> as part of it, like yeah. The now, now you, you all get
0: one stick of butter a week. And yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. All right.
0: All right. So just, th- this is something that was introduced by Mayor Breed, Supervisors Dorsey and Guardio. I mean, Jay, do you want to walk us through the high level, what we're talking about?
2: Yeah, just to set the stage. So. Uh San Francisco has built an insufficient number of homes to meet demand for, for decades, right? And you can measure this by the number of jobs in the city, the population of the city. But one very common way to, to determine this is by how much of the population is, quote unquote, rent burdened, meaning you spend more than 30% of your income on rent. Um, I have another metric for this, which is like, if you live in a city where a 600 square foot studio apartment, I don't care how nice it is, is being called luxury, you, your city's not building enough housing, right? And, it's bad for a lot of reasons. If rents are high, if it's if it's difficult to purchase a home, it you know, this exacerbates inequality. It makes it difficult for families to grow or people to settle down in a the city. There's actually been a lot of studies showing how it reduces national GDP because people can't move to like productive people can't move to cities where their talents could be put to the best use. And companies are essentially paying their employees, uh, higher salaries that a a big portion of which just goes to a landlord and that's not not a productive use of that money but you know maybe maybe you don't care there's a really funny daniel tosh bit that i like where he talks about how he can't stand people who complain that california is really expensive and that they should move to the center of the country because it's that's that's where people who gave up on their dreams should be living. But
1: No, here, most- we're going to we're going to stay. We're going to fight it out. We're going <laughs> to cook dinner from our sofa in our studio exactly.
2: apartments. Exactly. Exactly. Um most most like NIMBYs won't come right out and say that. Although I have heard similar sentiments expressed at public comment. They instead they'll talk about like oh, we need higher affordable housing requirements or we need more local input or we should Focus on public housing. And really, all of these are ruses to guarantee that more housing will never be built because they just spike the cost of building anything so high that um, developers don't see San Francisco as an attractive market. So there has been a lot of focus recently, especially uh, since January of this year, on reforming the the framework in San Francisco for getting new houses or new new residential developments approved and built. And the reason for that is we have to do it by law. There's something called the housing element, which is a law in California that determines how much housing each locality, meaning each city and county, has to build every 10 years. And We finally submitted our plan. Uh, San Francisco finally submitted its plan uh, in January this year to meet our requirement of building 80,000 new homes by 2030. So that's a ton of housing. It's three times more housing approximately than San Francisco built in the prior eight years. And so now all the supervisors uh, or most of the supervisors, are focused on how we can actually meet this goal. If we don't meet the goal, then there are a lot of different things that can happen, but the most significant of which is that we'll essentially lose local control over zoning and permitting decisions. So the Constraints Reduction Act is essentially a it's a, an ordinance that would streamline permitting and hopefully get Housing developments approved on a much shorter timeline than they currently are, so in San Francisco, it takes an average of four hundred and fifty days to get fully approved that's I think the highest uh, or the longest uh, timeline in any California jurisdiction and it's just it's prohibitive for a lot of developers they'll just say you know what that's we just can't carry that much debt for that long under the risk of the project potentially being denied. So what this would do would, the Constraints Reduction Act, it would eliminate conditional use review for a lot of projects that meet certain pre-specified requirements. It would get rid of neighborhood notification, which is like 30 days before uh, a project goes for approval, before I think the Planning Commission or maybe the Land Use Committee. You have to go, the planning department has to notify all neighbors within like a 150 yard radius. Uh, And then obviously those people then lawyer up and make CEQA challenges and all sorts of stuff like that. Overall, all of the different changes that this would uh, bring online would probably cut the timeline down by about half a year and hopefully spur more development. Um, So that's that's the background. And that sort of brought us to uh, what happened this past week, which is This ordinance came before the Board of Supervisors, and they were like, eh, we'll we'll just punt on it. We'll just just consider it later. Supervisor Melgar and Supervisor Mandelman hinted at the fact that they were both considering amendments to the ordinance, which typically means that they want to hang a bunch of stuff on it that's going to make it uh, unpalatable to both parties or sort of defang all of its effective elements. So we'll see what happens there.
0: All right, so on the topic, Jay, we've got even more news coming from, in this case, Supervisor Dorsey. What's happening with his charter
2: amendment? The charter amendment with regards to the police?
0: Yeah, the police. Uh, so this would be the $30 million uh, funding and the amendment on police officer numbers.
2: Yeah, yeah. So for a long time, San Francisco had a law that mandated that the SFPD would maintain approximately 2,000 officers. This was rarely met. And in fact, in 2020, in November of that year, sort of after the George Floyd protests and riots and the sort of milieu or zeitgeist of that year, uh, voters in San Francisco approved Proposition E, which removed that requirement from the city charter. About a year later, the city commissioned a report from a consulting agency and Asked, you know, how many police officers should San Francisco actually have? And the consulting agency came back and said, oh, the city probably needs around 2,2100 or so officers. That's nowhere near the number of police officers we have at the moment. The current staffing level is around fifteen hundred, and it's even less when you remove like special duty officers or officers on short-term leave. So we're Somewhere between twenty-five to thirty percent understaffed.
1: But Jay, we've got this super crackerjack campaign of advertising <laughs> to Texas citizens to come to San Francisco and serve on SFPD. Isn't that exactly. Fix yeah. It all?
2: Very. It, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's the that's the plan. That's the genius plan, right? So, um, Supervisor Dorsey is going to introduce or plans to introduce a charter amendment in, that will be on the ballot. In March of 2024, that would require by the end of a five year period, there to be 2,100 officers, that the SFPD would have 2,100 officers on staff. There would be certain budget provisions that would require milestones be met along the way. And he is, to your point, Jenny, wants to allocate uh, $30 million for a sort of like slush fund to entice new recruits to the SFPD, including going to Colleges in Texas and essentially begging people to, oh uh, to join the police force. I mean,
1: I, I mean, I hope they do, but when they see uh, what a San Francisco studio looks like, it's going to be <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, right. It's all connected. I, uh, that's probably yeah. why a lot of uh, SFPD officers do not live in San Francisco proper because uh, it's kind of difficult for anyone to afford uh, to afford living here. But I, I think that this sort of brings up an interesting point, which is that. You know, it doesn't really matter how much money we offer. Like, at the end of the day, the, there's, there's, some, there's something else missing here, right? I don't mm-hmm. think that this is a problem that can be solved. And by the problem, I mean the, the police recruiting problem that can be solved just by throwing money at it. Because yeah. what is the, one of the least well-compensated law enforcement agencies in America? Anyone want to guess?
1: um, FBI? No, no.
2: No, Jenny, you got it. The FBI.
1: Yeah. But, but that's cool because that's sexy and cool. Everybody wants to work for the FBI.
2: Exactly. Right. So, I mean, year over year, they get like 10 X more applications than they have available positions. And that's because being a special agent, is seen as prestigious, right? They they yeah. not only get more applicants, they get better applicants. Yeah. And so this idea that's been floating around for a while that I I really like is to do for policing what Teach for America did for education
1: mm.
2: twenty or twenty five years ago. You could just call it. I think it's Matty Glacius calls it police for America, and mm. essentially you just have this highly competitive program where in exchange for, let's say, like a five-year commitment, SFPD will pay off your undergraduate student loans. And then on top of that, you get like a year plus of training in college during your summer and winter breaks before you even enter. The, it's, it, it's like ROTC essentially. Oh, yeah, and then saying, yeah. the, like over time, you get a larger SFPD and you get a more competent and more professional one because you have a higher quality, more educated, more experienced applicant with more training. And it's sort of win-win because it should cost less. It's probably going to be easier to entice people with perks like you're going to pay off their their loans than having to pay massive amounts of overtime or signing bonuses to experienced police officers. You're going to have people who are really bought in and have more training, and so it satisfies folks like us who I think prioritize law and order and public safety, but it also satisfies the, you know, maybe not the defund the police crowd because they're never going to be satisfied, but people who have legitimate, reasonable critiques about the quality of policing in America, you're not going to improve the police in San Francisco or anywhere else by taking money and training and resources away from them, what you need is to give them the best people, the best training, um, and improve them that way.
1: Well, sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I
2: hope so.
0: (laughs) Nice to know that we're getting these new ideas in before we leave. I want to talk with you, Jenny, about this wall street journal article that dropped just this morning, hours ago, It's an op-ed by Mayor Eric Johnson of Dallas. He's a popular mayor of Dallas, and it's titled, America's Cities Need Republicans, and I'm Becoming One. Yep. Tell us about it. What's happening there?
1: Well, first of all, do you ever like see an op-ed piece and you're like, oh. I wish I wrote that. Now, granted, I'm not the mayor of Dallas, but I was a lifelong Democrat and have been pulled to the other side by my experience living in San Francisco and seeing that, unfortunately, a lot of the ideas that are being used to govern this town are not effective. And so here are a few quotes from this article that I thought were just fantastic. So, Mayor Adams writes, too often local tax dollars are spent on policies that exacerbate homelessness, coddle criminals, and make it harder for ordinary people to make a living. And too many local Democrats insist on virtue signaling, proposing half-baked government programs that aim to solve every single societal ill and on finding new ways to thumb their noses at Republicans at the state or federal level. Enough. This makes for good headlines, but not for safer, stronger, more vibrant cities. And so I'm reading this. I'm thinking, yes, yes. You know, it's just – it's so – it's kind of frustrating when you come to a point and you realize like, oh, wow, the, the Fox News and New York Post headlines about the decline of American cities might be correct. <laughs> like maybe there is some connection between the fact that American cities are suffering and they're all run by Democratic Leaders, So, um, I I mean, I hope that this is maybe, you know, Mayor Johnson says, like, I don't know, I'm now going to be only one out of 10 mayors of major American cities who's a Republican. So it's hardly a red wave. But I love to see the willingness to kind of buck the system here and just say, hey, listen, these ideas that y'all are advocating are not working. um, And I'm going to take a different approach for my city because I've seen that it's important to prioritize public safety Business, housing. What else does he talk about here? I mean, violent, violent crime. And anyway, I I think it's really exciting. So I'll I'll be interested to see what comes of it.
0: I agree. And look, I think it goes both ways. It's good for the National Republican Party for cities to be in play. It's good for them to want to compete for the communities that live in America's large urban centers. It moderates the party. It brings in competing different ideas. You know, we don't want echo chambers. And if you want a better Republican party nationally, get them interested in cities again. It's good for everyone.
1: And I don't think that I agree with every single platform on, you know, whatever the, I don't know if they have an official platform until 2024, but, you know, I probably don't agree on every single thing. There are probably a lot of things I really disagree on, but I'd rather be kind of like a noisy minority person in a... In a, a group of people that overall cares about things that I think are really most important. So, um, and you know, public safety schools.
2: It's super interesting because you see Democrats having a lot of success in urban centers and cities, uh, and Republicans having more success, uh, at well, ha- having what success they do have at the state and national level. And I don't agree with everything that the Democrats Propose. I don't agree with everything that the Republicans propose. I think both sides have something to offer and something to bring to the table. But if you uh, if you step back, it's it's almost like actually the Republicans have the best ideas with respect to the administration of cities. Yep. And at the moment, the Democrats, I would I would I, I wouldn't even say that they have the best ideas with respect to national or state administration. They kind of are, have the only ideas. Um, I don't really see a like the national GOP as being the party of ideas at the moment. They're just kind of busy trying to block uh, military appointments and other shenanigans. Um, But at the city level, it's like, who is talking about public safety? Republicans, right? They're the ones, or conservatives, they're the ones talking about, okay, social science says that we need to have many, many more police on the street. Um, Who are the ones that are talking about public education and are not Uh beholden to the teachers unions republicans or conservatives they're saying actually there's a lot of evidence that shows charter schools work and that school choice works who's talking about housing it's i mean some democrats are talking about housing but the you know the the left wing of that party has been staunchly anti-housing for the last 40 years, and I don't really see any of that changing. Or to the extent so, they're
1: pro-housing, they're pro-public housing, not recognizing <laughs> the benefits. You know, if, if we got rid of a lot of excessive regulation, then the market could step in and provide a lot of that housing that we need
2: yeah like a brief tangent on this. The whole public housing uh obsession among progressives is super fascinating to me because it's like, yeah
1: Have you, seen you could achieve housing?
2: well, it's also like you could achieve affordable housing by simply making. Those were like imposing certain affordable housing requirements on new developments. And then these evil, greedy developers that you hate so much are the ones who are going to have to pay for it or the rich people that you hate so much who are buying the market rate housing units in those developments will have to subsidize the affordable units. And instead, you're like, let's build public housing and force the public to pay for it. It's just like right. there's, it's it's this you know aversion to having some to someone making profit somewhere at some point anywhere, yeah. and then you're just going to be mm-hmm. against it. But just to wrap up that thought, it's it's almost like if if someone came to me today and said, and this is me speaking as a registered Republican as a conservative, and they said, hey. What if we switched roles and we had Republican mayors and Republican boards of supervisors or city councils in all of America's major cities? And in exchange, the Senate and the House and even the White House would be Democratic? I'd be like, I'll take that. I will take Mm. that deal in a heartbeat.
0: Is this like the political equivalent of what was that movie, uh, Freaky Friday?
2: <laughs> like, yes. I would love that. We should actually yeah. do that. I would. I think Political we should have some Friday. sort of some sort of trial period, just for a month. Let's just try it out. Try it Where on. Mitch, see how Mitch McConnell
0: wakes up and he's like <laughs> patting himself and realizes that he's you know Hillary <laughs> Renan.
2: Exactly. Yep. Yep. There you go.
1: The other, just one more. I think also fiscal responsibility. You know, you only hear Republicans talking about that. And I mean, look. I mean, our budget in San Francisco is insane. And yeah. the results on the street certainly don't reflect the so-called investment that we're making in our services. So um, I think that's so important. And that's that's kind of a Republican principle.
0: Totally. Oh, so much to do. So much to so do much on a Friday. Oh, I love talking to you guys on a Friday. See, we should do this every Friday. Uh,
2: uh, almost every Friday.
1: Yeah, as long as I don't have to listen back to it. As has <laughs> <no laughs> <increase> agrees with me. <laughs> I'll just
0: go leave. Have a happy weekend. <laughs> all right well i had a good time
2: i did too we'll, we'll let did.
0: the listeners decide if they did too no,
1: i had a great time i just don't wanna, i just i don't want to listen to myself but i love listening to you guys
0: <laughs> no it's okay I've been, I've been putting my mutant button on for the whole time i've been wanting to say something and i realize i'm talking to myself uh anything else before we break our inaugural roundtable or have we covered everything for the week
2: I don't think we covered everything, but I think we got a lot, and hopefully this was uh, enjoyable and informative for our listeners. And we plan to do uh, many more of these going forward and sort of mix things up between uh, formats where we interview people and also just have these roundtables.
1: Maybe we can have subject requests. If everybody who reads the Digest has a request of something they want to hear us talk about, they can respond to the Digest (laughs) when when it comes through on Sunday and say, please talk about x y or z
0: absolutely love that idea let us know leave us a review on apple let us know what you thought of this format if you like it we're gonna do more
1: thanks guys have a great weekend
0: thanks all see you soon Yep.